The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the available lines ahead of the college basketball tournament on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsibility gaming resources hey everyone how's it going welcome to another episode of the orange and black insider Bengals podcast i am anthony Cazenza, and i am joined by by my usual partners in crime scott schultze and john sheeran but we have a special guest this week from sb nation's buffalo rumblings john colin bocaccino uh <laughs> covering the covering him uh, them bills and uh, obviously, the the Bengals and the Bills face off this weekend in the dress rehearsal of the preseason. Uh, John, before we kind of get into the X's and O's and uh, the bromance, if you will, between the Bengals and the Bills of late, um, <laughs> tell us about yourself, uh, how you became affiliated with SB Nation, and uh, what you're involved in, how people can follow you, and uh, even how you became a Bills fan. Yeah, Anthony, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's great to uh, talk of with course. You mentioned the bromance. Uh, Bills and Bengals fans are pretty tight right now, given the fact of uh, Andy Dalton's fourth down touchdown pass last year against the Ravens, getting the Bills into the playoffs, snapping that embarrassing 17-year playoff drought in Western New York. Uh, is an awesome bromance between our two cities and two fan bases, so congrats for, uh, for that. Um, my background, I'm actually a sports reporter uh, by trade. I worked for Gannett Newspapers for about seven and a half years up here doing high school sports, doing Bills uh, reporting, uh, training camp, uh, college sports, had a blast, uh, switched over to higher ed. I worked as a, a sports information director. And uh, on the side, uh, I started doing some stuff with Buffalo Rumblings just as a fun way to kind of cover the team that I love. I've had season tickets uh, since 2008. I sit in the end zone every single week, even in the 20 below zero games with the win, the snow game last year, if you guys saw that against the Colts. We were there for the entire thing, loved every minute of it. Even if the beer was half water and half beer by the time that uh, you got to your seat, it was still a pretty good time to go out there and cheer on our team. So, yeah, man, I do uh, do a lot with Rumblings. Uh, you can follow us at Buff, B-U-F-F, Rumblings. You can follow myself at John, B-O-C-C-A-C-I-N-O on Twitter. And uh, we actually do a podcast called the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast that we launched in uh, April uh, through SB Nation. So it's always cool talking football. Yeah, well, we're glad to have you. Thanks for making time. Uh, I, I know it's I know it's preseason, but like I said, this is this is probably the most important game of the preseason for all NFL teams. So uh, you know they're, they're wanting to see a lot from their starters and and from uh, you know many other players there. So I'm, I'm going to start it off, I guess, just with probably the biggest headline as it goes with the Bills right now, and that's the quarterback position. And I think Bengals fans have a little bit of a vested interest in that from the standpoint of A.J. McCarron. Now, first of all, we want to see how that competition's going, but 
I also want to ask you about AJ McCarron's injury update because we heard he cracked his collarbone. He's going to be out for a while. Now he's day to day. He didn't crack his collarbone. Um, so his injury status and where those two are, um, you know, in the competition and obviously his injury plays a role in that, right? Oh yeah, definitely. It was really unfortunate when uh, AJ went down, he started. So the way the bills and Sean McDermott have divvied up their quarterback starts so far through the first two preseason games, uh, basically, we had Nathan Peterman drew the first start uh, against Cle against the uh, Carolina Panthers, and then AJ McCarron started against uh, your Ohio uh, similar team, the Cleveland Browns, out there. Uh, he had a very miserable first two series, a pair of three and outs, three of six for twelve yards. Offense was lackluster. He got hit by Miles Garrett pretty hard. The O line did him no favors by whiffing on a couple of. Uh, would be uh, pass rushers, and McCarron suffered an injury that we didn't know about until later in the game when social media started speculating that McCarron might have a broken collarbone. Well, it turns out that he does not have a hairline fracture in his collarbone, which would have been an eight-week injury or longer, kind of like what Aaron Rodgers went through a couple years ago. Uh, he is day-to-day. -day. It's, it's funny. They're calling it however much his pain tolerance is. So as long as he can tolerate the pain, he'll be out there playing and uh, competing for the quarterback position. He definitely was behind, in my opinion, Nathan Peterman and Josh Allen in the pecking order just because he had the lesser performance in the two preseason games and uh, through training camp, which is really a shame because I was kind of pulling for the kid. You know, you guys know with him being a Bengals guy, he really never has had an opportunity outside of the playoff game with the Steelers and a couple of starts here and there to be a starting quarterback in the league. And what he did at Alabama, you kind of feel like he deserves a chance to show what he can do as a starter. Um, I think he'll still get an opportunity, but he's clearly behind Nathan Peterman and Josh Allen at this stage of the uh, preseason. And Josh Allen's going to get his turn to start on Sunday when the Bills host the Bengals. You know, everyone's catching Josh Allen mania. You know, in Western New York, they're anointing him the next best quarterback since Jim Kelly and Doug Flutie here. And I kind of keep telling people, like, slow yourself a little bit. You know, he hasn't really done it against anybody besides a couple of preseason games. Um, I'd actually rather see Peterman. I'm one of the minority guys who'd rather see Peterman start the year just because I'm old school. I feel like a rookie – I don't know. There could be a lot of damage that could be done to a kid thrown in there with a suspect offensive line with questionable wide receivers. You got shady, which is a great best friend of a quarterback to have back there, LaShawn McCoy. But I don't know. I kind of feel like I want to see what Peterman can do more so than what Josh Allen can do right from the get go. But long term, I think Allen is definitely the guy who's going to be taking the quarterback reins. So you said about that shaky offensive line. You So we got Cordy Glenn in the trade and you guys actually took two former Bengals offense linemen, Marshall Newhouse and Russell Bodine. We covered Russell Bodine for four years. I had to put up with his bull crap at center <laughs> for all those years. You guys have had him for just a few months. What are the impressions that you've seen from Bodine? Is he the starter there over, uh, I think his name is Groy, or is he just that backup or is that that swing guard slash center right now? Yeah, it's interesting. Ryan Groy is one of those versatile guys who can basically play left guard, center, uh, he can play in the tackle position if he really needs to. Uh, he should be the starting center ahead of uh, Bodine, who has really had a lackluster training camp. You can kind of see why you guys weren't afraid to let him go uh, because he. I don't think he's really all that talented. He hasn't shown me much uh, in the preseason. And Cordy Glenn's one of the guys. I, mean, I wish him the best with you guys. He seems like he's a class guy, a good character guy, but he couldn't stay healthy the last two years in Buffalo. And after his first couple years off the rookie deal out of Georgia, I thought he was going to be a stud at the left tackle spot. 
but it goes to show you how much the Bills brass felt confident getting rid of him with what Deion Dawkins, a rookie last year, did to step in and fill the void. So I feel like the Bills have a lot of question marks on, on the offensive line. We got done no favors with uh, Eric Wood retiring due to the neck injury. Richie Incognito, if you guys saw the news, he was arrested at a funeral home. Now, it's unfortunate with his dad passing away. That's a horrible situation. But apparently he was like threatening and, and yelling at some of the employees in there and threatened to bring weapons from his car in and possibly do some real damage to the uh, funeral home employees. So Richie, uh, you know, he took a pay cut. He agreed to take a pay cut and then decided that he was going to renege on that and wanted more money. So I think the bills are happy to not have him because he's more headache than he's worth. And uh, right now the O-line is definitely very suspect and, Bonine's not going to be doing any favors on that competition. I don't think he's going to be the starter come day one. Okay, we've been, um, I guess, discussing all the moves back and forth. We've mentioned McCarron. We've mentioned uh, Cordy Glenn and Bodine. One guy we have not mentioned that I'd like to ask about is uh, Preston Brown, who is a little local. We've had some issues at the middle linebacker position. Uh, we had a decent one maybe 10 years ago. Um uh, Dehani Jones, he left. We replaced him with Ray Maluga, who was kind of kind of a thumper, old school. He wasn't very fast, wasn't very good at, in coverage, uh, just kind of a, a big body in the middle. We replaced him last year with Kevin Minter. That didn't work out too well. So we're a little <laughs> more excited. We think we have something better in Preston Brown. We like that he's kind of local, but we also like that he seems to be younger and maybe a little quicker, more dynamic. Are we crazy for thinking that, or is he a step up than – than I guess what the Bengals have had previously. Yeah, so here's the thing with Preston Brown. Again, another good quality guy, no locker room troubles from what you hear, great guy in the community. He led the NFL in tackles last year, but I always say that with tackles, there's a difference between getting a tackle and where you get the tackle. And Preston Brown, one of the biggest reasons he got a lot of tackles is he was getting tackles 10 yards downfield because the run game was being blown up or he was beat in pass coverage. It's amazing. He really seemed to take a step or two back over the last two years. Originally, if you had told me with Preston Brown's emergence that the Bills were going to let him walk, I would have been really skeptical because he seemed like a really talented uh, linebacker for Buffalo. But again, where his tackles took place, his ability to pass cover declining, I think the Bills thought it was a, a mutual parting of the ways. And again, I think you guys have a good linebacker, but I would surround him with other guys who can kind of pick up the slack who might be a little more athletic because maybe it was the system last year. He also had a rookie, Matt Milano, that was starting alongside him. So maybe that's a little bit of the reason why Preston felt the pressure to up his game, but he definitely had a down year last year in Buffalo. Not to be Debbie Downer with that. <laughs> Talking with John, John Bocaccino uh, with Buffalo Republic workers, the Buffalo Bills. We are happy to have him on talking about all things Bills Bengals as uh, the teams get set for uh, dress rehearsal. Um, John, speaking of dress rehearsals, each team is going to be looking for specific things out of their team. Now, the, the Bengals are 2-0, and but it's kind of a, a masquerading 2-0. Uh, the Bengals last week, you know, they beat the, the Cowboys by eight points, but it was not a, a convincing win, especially not a convincing performance by their one. So they're going to want to come out and do some things. But they have the Bengals have their weaknesses. I'm sure the Bills have some issues they want to work out aside from – Sorting out the quarterback stuff, what, from a Bills perspective, are you looking for out of the dress rehearsal from Buffalo this weekend? 
Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting. Uh, I always am a big fan of of the third game, um, just in the fact of the importance that this preseason game has. You know, the starters really, you want to see some consistency. You want to see them go downfield and score points and not have a couple of three and outs like the first team offense uh, did last week uh, in Cleveland. And I think what the Bills, the biggest things I want to see are, A, what the offensive line can do, because I think a pretty mediocre Cleveland uh, rushing attack ran all over the first teamers uh, last last week on the defensive side of things. I think they had 65 yards, um, the rushing attack for Cleveland did against Buffalo uh, on their first drive. So I want to see what the defensive line can do to step up with regards to the run game and uh, try to stuff the run. Now, Buffalo is playing without Trent Murphy, who was a veteran signed off mm-hmm. of Philadelphia. Uh, he's kind of fighting a nagging groin injury. I wouldn't put him out there just because those things can be really lingering and you know, might affect him come the regular season. But you got guys you know, like a Jerry Hughes and a Star Latoule um, and Shaq Lawson, some guys who should take some pride in their defense. So I hope that the run game can kind of step up, the run defense rather, can step up for Buffalo. And then I want to stick with the trenches. The offensive line is another key area for Buffalo. Um, outside of Deion Dawkins, this unit has had a pretty up and down uh, preseason so far. Vladimir Dukas, uh, who I don't think is anything special, kind of played over his head last year in the regular season. He came back to earth in the first two weeks of the preseason. Can he step it up and have a solid performance? Uh, John Miller was a highly touted guy out of Louisville who had a couple of good years early, and he's kind of regressed a little bit. He's on the spot for trying to maintain his starting job. Um, I think Ryan Groy is going to have the center position locked down, but what the offensive line can do against a, a Cleveland or a Cincinnati attack that can run the ball pretty well. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of your ground game. I'm a big fan of what you guys can do offensively. Anytime you get AJ Green out there, I mean, we saw what AJ did to Trey White last year in the regular season. You know, Trey White could have been rookie of the year, and AJ Green made him look like a JV kid out there. So I think that there's a lot to be said for how the Bills can handle your offense, but. I don't know. I'm kind of curious to see. This is the preseason game, and hopefully Buffalo can step it up. Yeah, you know, and obviously this this week is. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. Like I said, I keep using the term dress rehearsal. It's interesting from this the standpoint that this should be the game that the starters or heavy rotators get the most time throughout the throughout the summer games, if you will. But also just because, as we've talked about, John mentioned the uh, the, the switch of Russell Bodine and then Cordy Glenn and Preston Brown. Like there's so many guys on both teams that have kind of just swapped cities. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of familiar faces between both of these teams. Uh, talking with John Bocaccino, we're going to get him out of here because he has uh, a podcast of his own to uh, to get to. Um, one more time, John, where can people find your stuff and uh, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, definitely. And again, guys, anytime you want to talk Western New York football, Give us a shout. We'll gladly come on and talk about the Bills. Again, I'm very grateful for uh, the Bengals getting the Bills into the playoffs last year. And Andy Dalton's charity foundation, Western New York fans, stepped up big time with their contributions. Uh, You can follow us. Our website is buffalorumblings.com. If you go to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbay, Podfanatic, search Buffalo Rumblings Podcast. You'll find our podcast. And you can find me on Twitter at John Boccasino, B-O-C-C-A-C-I-N-O. Bocasino, Bocacino, you know. You know, I, I, I it's I'm really, trying, I'm, I'm trying <laughs> it should Bocacino. be Bocacino. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tyrod, absolutely. Tyrod, you know, we have a lot of these. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well thanks, for, thanks for coming on, John. Uh, appreciate it. Appreciate the insight. And, uh, you know, 
if if the uh, the Bengals and Bills face off again uh, sometime, I I don't, I don't just off the top of my head, I don't think they play each other in the regular season, do they? Um, no, I uh, so. yeah, I can for one of the few right times. In, <laughs> yeah, for one of the few times in so many recent years, I don't think they face off against each other. But maybe, hey, maybe they'll both be in the playoffs. They'll face each other, and we can talk. Uh, catch up then and uh, talk about some Bills Bengals at that point. So thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Bills and Bengals who have similar history. I was there for the Thad Lewis uh, game when he started for Buffalo against the Bengals. So uh, you want to go down the bad quarterback chain, we can easily right. have a little tit for tat out there. But right. Bengals won that game in overtime. As long as you guys can keep the Steelers from the playoffs, we'll be very happy out here in Western New York. Well, I, I think that's a consensus opinion. Nobody likes the Steelers. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. And uh, for our folks, check out the Buffalo Rumblings podcast with with John. And uh, appreciate the time, sir. We'll we'll catch up to you soon. Hey, guys, have a great night. Thank you. All right, you too. So again, John Boccacino, Boccacino, however you want to, Cappuccino, you know, however you want to pronounce it, uh, 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 from Rumblings. We were happy to have him talking about the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, obviously a very interesting matchup and we will talk a little bit more ourselves about that in uh, just a little bit, just so you know, what's, what's up ahead. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the Aloka release and we're going to give it each, each one of us is going to kind of give a, a specific standpoint, I think, as to what we think happened there, why this, this Waka suddenly was released after the a day after the Bengals beat the Cowboys in the preseason. Um, we'll be talking a little bit of fantasy football uh, with Scott, so he's got some some tidbits and tips for all of us. I, I still haven't had my draft yet, Scott, so I need all the help I can get, my friend. Um, and then we'll we'll try and get to some listener questions. We'll open up our uh, Orange and Black Insider phone line later on, um, and uh, you know you can call, text us on that number and uh, we'll try and get to your questions. You can also get to us at Bengals OBI on Twitter uh, via email, the OB insider at gmail.com and uh, through the Cincy jungle uh, website, we post up there. You can leave the comments in the thread there or the live YouTube chat. We're scouring that as well. So before we get into dissecting the game against the Cowboys guys, I, I've got a little bit of news and you guys may or may not know this, but we, as a show, are expanding. Uh, for, traditionally, we have, uh, for a long time, really since the inception of this show, we've had uh, this show available on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Cincy Jungle. Great platforms, obviously. Um, but we've expanded that. And uh, we don't have access to iTunes or find it to be clunky or whatever. Um, we have expanded our availability of this show. So now it is on Stitcher. If you are uh, a member of Stitcher, it is also on um, uh, Google Play. We just had got added there. And we are uh, being reviewed to be added to Spotify. So if you have an account with Spotify, uh, hopefully, and then next I'm waiting to hear back, and I don't know it wouldn't be approved. In the next couple of days, uh, we will we will be have we will have our show there. So aside from our usual platforms, I'm very excited to announce that uh, Android users and other non-iPhone uh, users and non-iTunes users can 
uh, access the show in a number of different ways. And uh, all you have to do is kind of search us there. Um, and then when you, when we throw up the show and the posts on Cincy Jungle and everything, we'll, we'll link everything for you. But pretty excited, guys, that we are uh, we've, we've expanded the reach a little bit. And um, I'm hopeful that more and more Bengals fans will get in touch with the show. More and more Bengals fans will enjoy what we bring to them. So we're going worldwide, guys. I mean, as long as we're getting a pay raise with all this expansion, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Prestige worldwide, right? Worldwide, worldwide. Have you guys seen Step Brothers? I hope so. Prestige worldwide, worldwide. No, okay. Um, anyway, for those who have seen Step Brothers, you'll know what I'm talking about. You have. Uh, yeah, I, I have. I enjoyed it. Um, but at any rate, uh, pretty excited about that. We are uh, we're trying to get a little more, a few more guests on the show as well. I mean, uh, we we love uh, talking and doing the roundtable that we normally do. But you know, we want to preview, get a little further insight with with teams uh, as the Bengals face them during the season. So we're going to try and get some. Uh, beat writers and SB Nation bloggers and whatnot on the program. We're going to try and get some of the usual suspects we have ha we've had on this program: James Rapine of ESPN Cincinnati, Joe Goodberry, hopefully of the Athletic, Cody Toomey, who's kind of a draft Bengals uh, analyst as well. So we're going to try and mix things up a little bit. And like I said, we've so check it out. So between we've had a busy few weeks, guys. Between Munoz being on the show. Between adding a phone line and uh, and and reach, pretty excited, and uh, I know I know that you guys, I can tell by your your faces, you are just ecstatic at the news. So um, anyway, pretty excited about that. Let's get to it. Let's talk about the Cowboys. The Bengals won the game. Okay, I I I can't remember a time that I have felt so blah or even mad about a Bengals win in a long time. And I, I think it's because there was uh, strong signs of regression from week to week, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But we, I personally saw a lot of things that have hurt the Bengals in their past two losing seasons kind of bubble up at the surface again. Scott, I guess I'll start with you. Um, your thoughts on, I mean, obviously depth was on display, but your thoughts on the first unit struggles on offense and defense. Actually, um, I may discuss the second half only because I missed the first half. Long story. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> well hey, let me do this we'll then. We'll we, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we flip flop, at least you got to have some thoughts on John Brown, right? Yes. The kicker. Uh, yeah, I saw him. I have been. I've, I've not. I've never been a Randy Bullock fan. I was not a huge fan of the signing. Really? A few years ago. Really? <laughs> Yeah, anyone who's heard the podcast last year probably knew I was a huge Jake Elliott fan. I was pretty happy when they got him to be their kicker, which ended up not happening. Uh, I like the guys with the upside who have you know the bigger leg that can kick the longer field goals. I know Bullock was more accurate last year in training camp and um, throughout the season, but granted he was fairly accurate, one, because he was kicking a lot of short kicks and because it doesn't have the leg to kick the longer kicks, and then also because – you know, you're just not giving that many opportunities. Anyway, historically, he's, you know, a, a mid-low 80s kind of kicker. Last year was a – yeah, it was a nice story, but, you know, Bullock's not going to repeat that. Brown is someone who has a ton of upside. I like the upside guys, the guys who are young, you know, have uh, many years you can keep under contract, you know, young, controllable talent, huge upside. The way he kicked those – extra, I mean, even like the kickoffs, like the one that went off the uh, field goal reminded me of a CFL kick. Uh, 
so you know things like that i think i was excited i think we don't get to see is how are they actually doing in training camp i mean if john brown comes out in this preseason game and everyone sees him like man this guy's awesome but if he's only making half his kicks and you know training camp and bullock's nailing everything then i totally agree with marvin lewis's comment that you know this guy's not you know there's not really competition and he might be saying that because based on what what they're seeing you know behind closed doors when they're practicing maybe there is no competition maybe brown is just a big leg but horribly inaccurate but based on what you know we the fan got to see on sunday or i guess not but you know whatever day yeah whatever day the game was uh yeah he looked he looked like a great kicker all his kicks were right down the middle he had that long leg he made the 55 yarder his kickoffs were really deep so yeah he was very exciting i'd Unfortunately, it's almost like you're showing him off for other people to grab him. So if you're not going to give him a chance, I'd just prefer you not play him at all because that way you can keep him on the practice squad a little longer. But yeah, that being said, he was a great story and it was awesome finally getting to see him out there making a, you know, kicks for the essentially the first time in his life he's ever attempted a field goal or an extra point in any sort of organized football game. Scott, can you just explain to Paul Dana Jr., James Rapine, the guys who are clueless in this, who are complaining to fans about, you know, they're, they're defending Randy Bullock because he's made like 90% of his kicks last year. Can you just explain to these guys why we don't dislike Bullock because he's accurate? We just dislike him because he's not Jake Elliott. <laughs> yeah, that's, what, that's the same reason I don't like Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, not that, it's not like we don't like Randy Bullock. We just know that we could do better and we did do better, and we didn't hold on to the guy that we invested the fifth-round pick in. That's the whole reason why we were upset about keeping Bullock. It's not It's not that we were upset that Bullock you know, only missed two kicks. It's that he didn't tap any like outside of 50 yards, and it's not like he could because he doesn't have the leg. Yeah, and he has no upside. He's a guy that's going to hit you know, 80, 80-some percent. Last year was this wonderful fluke year. It was awesome. He hit 90. That was great. He's never going to do that again. He, he probably yeah, will be If he hits above 85, that would be a miracle. Right. And there's and there's no such thing as you know a non-critical field goal that you miss. I mean, unless it's a unless it's a ter- terrible blowout. But the ones he has missed, Bullock, that is with the Bengals, they've been big. I mean, you go back to 2016. The he, he had the yep. Uh, it, you know, and that that wasn't you know that wasn't an easy one, but that wasn't you know something that was a ridiculous you know 57 yarder on a wing and a prayer type of thing. It just you know, that's that's kind of – at some point, you know, you, you kind of – I guess to both your guys' point, the Bengals probably will have an opportunity to find a guy on the street. If they let go of Randy Bullock, they will probably have an opportunity to find a comparable kicker on the street um, in the season if they go with a guy like John Brown um, and he falters. I, you know, I, I think I think they would have an opportunity to find someone comparable to what Randy Bullock could give them. It's more like you know, take a chance. And of course, of this off season of change that Marvin Lewis promised, um, he said there's no kicking competition after John Brown had an amazing game against the Cowboys. So big balls, Doug Peterson would keep John Brown. Marvin Lewis would not. That's right. Absolutely, John. Your thoughts on the first units, then, since uh, Scott's rounding out his notes for the second second team and third team units. Um, your th- your thoughts on the uh, the starters, their performance or lack thereof. Um, I guess, obviously, tell tell us about some of the plays that really bothered you. But is this just a byproduct of hey, super vanilla? They're just working things out, kind of a. And atmosphere, or is it cause for concern? 
So I think vanilla is what they faced against Chicago. And when I say they, I mean guys like Trey Hopkins and Bobby Hart, where Bobby Hart wasn't really challenged in pass protection against Leonard Floyd coming off the edge for the Bears. He met a whole new universe when he went up against Demarcus Lawrence, who is a much better pass rusher, obviously, and gave him a ton of fits with, with his speed and power. And that was a lot of the of the issues and miscues that we saw in the offensive line come from that right side. It really limited the running game with Joe Mixon. It really limited some of the downfield uh, vertical concepts that we saw from the offense that Dalton just didn't have enough time in the pocket and he had to, he had to um, uh, escape it too soon. So it's a lot of those issues that I think kind of gave us false hope against Chicago because they weren't really challenged. And when Dallas was kind of a wake-up call to a lot more speed and aggression from a more competent uh, front seven, so that was something that definitely concerns me because I don't think it's a problem that's going to go away because Bobby Hart's just not talented and the guys behind him aren't any better. So that's that's a cause for concern. Um, on the defensive side, Bengals had a lot of just they had a lot of you know seven guys in zone coverage, which is you know everyone's defense nowadays. But they couldn't really get home with four. And now uh, and again, that was against the great Dallas offensive line, who granted didn't have Travis Frederick, but they had two very good tackles that locked down, you know, Michael Johnson and Carlos Dunlap off the edge. That Crescott had plenty of time just dissecting the middle of the field against, you know, soft uh, zone coverage. And that led to a lot of, you know, third down conversions and kept Dallas on the field for a long time. And we didn't obviously see, you know, any progress in that department until the second team uh, came onto the field. So, you know, Dallas improved a lot over the past season. I think they're going to contend for one of those wild card spots in the NFC and, you know, their, their front seven is fast, it's frenetic, and it was a bad matchup against an offensive line for Cincinnati that's still very much in flux and doesn't have a lot of uh, cohesion yet. Scott, the 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 rest of, you know, the, the backups, as I mentioned, um, they, they seem to have played pretty well, and they um, basically only – the backup defense led up three points – um, you know, if you kind of want to be specific about it and, uh, uh, you know, the, the offense moved the ball a little bit better, definitely better than the first couple of units or the first unit did at least, were you encouraged by that? Or was that just, I mean, again, these are guys that may or may not get a lot of playing time in 2018. So I, I don't really know what to make of it myself. One thing, if, um, uh... I don't know if you've had a chance to look outside at the night sky over the past few months, but one thing that's kind of cool is if you have a clear sky, you can see Mars, Venus, and Saturn all at the same time, which I think is pretty cool because how often do you get to see those planets? That is one thing I love about the preseason is that you just like those planets you normally don't get to see, you get to see these guys that you you know there's no way you're ever going to see on a, on a regular Sunday. And some of those guys, when you watch them, especially on, Marvin, on a Marvin Lewis team, some of those guys are never going to get a shot. And so that's what's pretty awesome is that you get to see some of these guys. And like you said, some of them looked really impressive. And the one who I will bring up because I brought him up last week and I have been impressed with everything I've seen so far this year and the reports out of training camp last year were that he was really good is Jeff Driscoll. He made great throws. He did it. I thought he did a great job escaping pressure. The, we all know that guys like, uh, you know, Cedric Aboy, he isn't exactly the greatest uh, tackle in the game. Their backups at center in the middle, you know, kind of struggled. Uh, Fisher wasn't exactly the greatest at times. And still, despite the pressure, he managed to step up. He managed to avoid the rush. He managed to get nice throws off, you know, to the dump offs and that deep pass to Erickson and some of the earth. I mean, he just looks like an NFL quarterback. I'm not saying he's going to, you know, 
replace Andy Dalton. Uh, I'm not even saying he's good enough to. I, you know, we'd obviously have, obviously have to see him in a real game against, you know, a real defense playing a real defensive scheme. But he definitely looked like the backup. So that was pretty exciting to see that, hey, I think we have our number two. I think it's this guy we've invested, you know, two years of him on the active roster. And now we finally get a chance to see that hey, this guy's pretty good. It's so that was exciting. Another thing I really liked was uh, a guy I've kind of been a fan of for a couple years since the drafted him was Christian Westerman. And whenever I got to see him, I'm not saying he, I thought the first game he was pretty good. Last this second game, I think he was he was decent. Uh, and he had some moments. But I think ultimately, if we need to, if we're trying to get the five best guys on the field, I think we can probably all agree that anyone they've run out at right tackle is not one of the five best guys. <laughs> so whatever, the, I don't know if the right tackle is even on the roster right now. If it is, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd say, you know, can we, I know Bowling played left tackle last year. I don't know if we could move him to right tackle. I know he's more of a guard, you know, he's above average guard, maybe below average tackle, but I'd take below average over what we have right now and may put Westerman left guard. I don't I'm just throwing something out, but whatever we can do to get the five best guys on this team on that. And it looks like we, you know, Westerman might be one of those five best guys. So that that's kind of nice to see. Grant, I know it's second teamers, third teamers, but it is encouraging to see people like him, see people like, um, you know, Driscoll, see those guys kind of step it up and see that it, they look like an NFL team, an NFL offense. You know, when Driscoll's under center, they were moving the ball. You mentioned the defense, you know, not giving up many points. So, yeah, they they look like a a good team. You know, granted, it's not the starters. The offense, you know, had, what, three consecutive three and outs or something like that to start the game. So, yeah, it's not the ones, and we'll see what the ones look like next week. But it is encouraging. I mean, you always want to see your backups do well because it is the depth. And, you know, there are going to be injuries in the season. And the only way to overcome those injuries is you want to have solid backups. And so it's encouraging to see that, you know, the most important position on the field, which is quarterback, looks like we may not have lost as much as we thought we did when A.J. McCarron left. We got a lot of, I guess, tastes of the skill positions, especially a wide receiver, um, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, I, I don't know. It, it sounds, you know, we get, we got a taste of the, of the talent at, at those spots. Um, that wasn't as, as much on display against Dallas. John Ross had a you know, Tyler Boyd had the fumble, all that kind of stuff. But I, I think I'm excited. And, and you heard John from Buffalo Rumblings earlier talk about, you know, his offense and obviously pointing to the skill positions as, you know, reason why he thinks it's a good group. Obviously, we get it. But, guys, I'm going to throw this out to you, and I'm, I'll, I'll toss it to John first. The run game is one thing that we have not seen really great plays from. You know, Joe Mixon had his great play on a pass. Uh, Brian touchdown on a pass. So, uh, you look at it, run game. They netted just 54 yards on 24 carries hard per carry average six of the 24 carries that's a, uh, a fourth of those carries were for a loss and the losses averaged three yards each um, and they had just three first downs running the football john is this an anomaly is this something they're still working out or what do you think yeah i think john Buffalo was giving the run game a little bit too much credit than what it's worth right now because I don't want to upset a lot of people, but PFF's grade of really pricing the run game is pretty damn accurate. And it, there there are issues with him that were there from college. And 
actually got into a heated argument over in t- on Twitter over some guy who said, you know, Price hasn't whiffed in the run game. You know, he's made contact. He's not technically he's not technically speaking whiffed on some blocks. But against Chicago, you saw him lunge, lose contact, give up his gap very easily. Didn't see that a lot against Dallas, but you still saw that he wasn't really getting out of his stance that quickly. Couldn't handle reach blocks. We haven't even really seen a good reach block from Price, and we never saw a good reach block from Bodine. And that was that's always been kind of an issue because he's not the longest of centers. And I think there are just some just technical aspects they still needs to work out. And obviously he's young, and those things can get better over time. But he's not looked that promising in the run game, just creating movement against shaded nose tackles and all that stuff. Um, is when he's when he's looked best, he's looked best when he's pulling out of space and on on some of those power concepts. But he doesn't look like a center who can operate in a zone scheme just through two games, and this is a really small sample size. But that's one of the main reasons why the running game has not done literally anything. And obviously, like I, I always bring this this kind of point up that back in 2016 when they had Whitworth and Zeiler and they still couldn't really run the ball, it's because they had, you know, obvious weak spots that right tackle and center. And, you know, th- they have Glenn, they have Bowling, and, but they still have qu- huge question marks that will lose more times than not in the run game. And if you had just a couple guys on the, on the defensive line getting, getting through, it disrupts the entire play. So those issues have to get worked out if they want to attack with this style of run game that, that they want to, because they have maybe two bodies on the offense line that can handle his own scheme and the other eight are just more suited for power. So I think if you just tra- transition the run game to that style of scheme, it could produce, produce better results, but it's just all about finding that perfect marriage because right now everything's still in flux and hasn't produced any positive results. Scott, some quick thoughts about the run game. Are you concerned? I mean, obviously, I, you know, I guess when you see uh, John Bocchino's take on the, on the Bengals, uh, you know, offense and running attack, you look at, Hey, you know, they had Cordy Glenn, a guy who's a pretty good player for him for t- at times in Buffalo. And then they've got two, you know, second round picks at running back and Gio Bernard and Joe Mixon, both guys are very talented. So obviously from the outside looking in, it seems as if it's, it's a good, you know, it's a pretty good situation, but I mean, those stats I mentioned, yes, it's preseason. Yes. It's the second game uh, behind second real game behind this line that they're trying to construct and reconstruct, you know, is it just going to be more of the same because the Bengals really in the Andy Dalton era have never really ran the ball well, period, or consistently. They've had a couple thousand yard rushers, but it's been a lot of blah. So I don't know, man. What, what, what do you think, Scott? I think it's, I mean, obviously I think all off season people were optimistic. It would be better partially because you figure it can't get much worse. <laughs> also partially because, you know, they in theory upgraded at center. They should have upgraded at left tackle based on what they had last year with Bodon and Boyhees. So you figure part of the line is better. You got rid of Jeremy Hill. That was beneficial because it gives Mixon more carries who can create more. It's also beneficial because Mixon or when uh, Hill was on the field, it tended to be very telegraphed. We are running the ball with Mixon out there because he is such a good receiver. You think that, okay, it shouldn't be as obvious that they're running. So all those things should work in favor of the running game. But like you said, you look at the results, it really hasn't panned out. Granted, they haven't given the starters, you know, a lot of time. I mean, they first game probably gave them more snap, more series than normal for a first game. But, you know, they haven't had a whole game. They And unfortunately, what we're finding is 
okay, we've you know supposedly patched up a couple holes, but it's not like we replaced them with all pros, and we still have some other gaping holes that still need to be addressed. And I think uh, you know John made a great point about Billy Price, and I think uh, you know that's why there were so many mixed reactions when he was drafted because people like James Daniels and uh, Frank Ragnall better because Price was a little smaller. He was more of a high effort, you know, high you know dedication guy, but maybe not the most uh, you know natural athletic that hey this guy can be something special and and i think the judge for him is always going to be he's better than bodine so even if he's below average you know as long as he's not you know 30th or 31st or 32nd people are going to say you know, he's going to have a positive you know response because he is an ohio state guy he's an ohio guy he is you know so he's somewhat local you know he's a, a guy that you know the Bengals drafted so people are always going to look at him and say he's not guy check he's not bodine he and defend him uh, and kind of, it's unfortunate because we kind of did the same thing with Marvin Lewis. He always gets compared to that 1990s era of Bengals play. You know, he can win five, six games and he doesn't get fired. It's like, well, at least we're not back in the 90s. And you know, at some point, that's going to wear – well, it probably should have worn thin by now. And same thing with, you know, Price. If he does not improve, then I think you're going to have fans eventually grumble about that. But it, he does look to be a step in the right direction. He, you know, he doesn't seem to get driven back on every play. He – he does lunge. He has some shorter arms. He does have some issues. Uh, you know, we hope they're correctable. They out. Uh, yeah, it's so. And the worst part is, you know, because uh, you mentioned we're going to discuss fantasy a little later. Well, what do you do with someone like uh, Joe Mixon or Giovanni Bernard? Are they draftable behind a line that still may be kind of bad? And then you look at you know his offense because the offense was submarined by that offensive line and. So the thing I think that fans are trying to determine is, you know, has this line gotten, I mean, they obviously aren't the, you know, 2015 line that paved the way for this team to go 12 and four, uh, make the playoffs, but are they good enough to not sink the whole entire offensive, um, you know, unit like it did last year? Are we at least going to give Dalton enough time to stand upright and get the ball out to guys like John Ross and AJ Green? That obviously didn't happen last year. And I think the thing we are hoping to see in the third game and try to figure out is, Okay, they may not be great, but are they at least good enough that they're not going to, you know, sink this offense all? And I think that's what we're going to find out, hopefully. Yeah, and you know, the, the Dallas only had uh, registered one sack, but you know, John, as John mentioned, there were some issues with protection, and Dalton missed two throws that he should have connected. Good, which would have been great gains to AJ Green. Um, he missed them. And, uh, you know, he had a clean pocket at, at those two times, but uh, I was allowed to get the ball out quick again. He, he was, he had to kind of maneuver the pocket and all that kind of stuff. So there's, there's stuff to, uh, stuff to dissect there. Obviously the, the matchup of Paul Alexander's Dallas Cowboys unit against Frank Pollock's Bengals unit was under the microscope, uh, this week. And, uh, there are mixed results. I do want to say that, you know, there were some positives, obviously. I mean, the Bengals won and there were some guys doing some things. Andrew Billings got in the backfield quite often. He did miss a couple tackles, but uh, did get in the backfield and disrupt plays quite often. Um, I, I can think of, I think, at least three occasions that he did that. Sam Hubbard had a sack, uh, sack and strip fumble, and Jordan Willis had two sacks as well. So, um, you know, guys that we should be seeing uh, in, in some capacity, uh, whether it's starting or rotating in on that defensive line, are uh, making plays and doing some things. Yes, Travis Frederick was out of the lineup. Yes, Zach Barton was out of the lineup early in that game after uh, you know after getting hurt. But 
you know, that's still, you still got Tyron Smith and Leo Collins and others on that line that are, that are good players that these guys were going up against and doing some things. So um, you got to be pleased at least uh, from a depth standpoint. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Kazenz and I'm joined by my usual co-host, John Sheeran and Scott Schulte. We had John, uh, I guess, Boccasino. I keep calling him Boccasino, but Boccasino from uh, SB Nation's Buffalo Rumblings earlier. Our thanks to him for covering, uh, helping us cover the, the Bills-Bengals game coming up this weekend. You can get this program in a number of ways now. Uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube. I'm going to try and rattle them all off. iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Cincy Jungle. Uh, hopefully soon Spotify. Google Play, Stitcher, I think I got them all. Check it out. Uh, we're excited to be expanding there, so check us out there. And then, obviously, uh, we're, we're live every week on Cincy Jungle on YouTube. Uh, we will be opening up our, our phone lines uh, in just a little bit to take some listener questions um, and talk about some other things. We'll be talking about some fantasy football things. Uh, you know, we got we got we got to make sure we have time permitting for a lot of things here, but. Uh, we got to get to this because the day after the Bengals beat the Cowboys, they randomly decided to cut Georgia Loca, who was essentially their starting safety. Now, we knew that the Bengals were flirting with and or did get safeties this offseason that more fit Terrell Austin's defensive style. Um they looked after Cole, they went after Kurt Coleman pretty hard. They looked at Eric Reed. Then they drafted Jesse Bates in the second round. So, um, John, I'll start with you. What I what I want to do, I, I wish I could. I wish I had time to have made the little tinfoil hats and and send them out to you guys, and we could all wear little you know tinfoil <laughs> hats. But I want I want you to take a position here as to why, because this was a surprise. Whether whether some people think it makes sense, some people don't. Uh, what is your because there's a number of different reasons out there as to why this may have happened what is your i guess primary position as to why aloka was let go uh from the Bengals? right so we have to look at what the team said was the reason it was financial reasons and not financial where they didn't have uh, space to do what they need to do with like extensions with Gino and Dunlap because they still had like 17 under the cap. But financial reasons in the fact that Iloka was going to become the backup to Jesse Bates just by the decision of whether it was Austin or or Marvin Lewis or whatever it was. But um, and so they didn't want to pay Iloka six million to be a backup safety. But in, I think what should be noted is that Iloka still had value even if he wasn't going to be that free safety where Bates is now. Iloka is perfect for that in-the-box role where he's close to the line of scrimmage. He can match up against tight ends and running backs and provide a presence as a force player on the edge in the run game. Where he struggled was coming downhill from a split safety alignment when the defense was in a cover two or quarters look. And Sean Williams' comparison was great at that, and that's why he's still here and not Iloka, and that's why he's starting at strong safety next to Bates. But, you know, Iloka was still decent in that single high look. He didn't have the range of ball skills to be great at it, and that's why they took Bates. But, again, like, I, I, I think they if they would have kept Iloka, they should have basically transitioned him to be, like, a nickel linebacker and just do have him do what he does best. But apparently they didn't see it that way. So the only way that they saw it was that, you know, Iloka's going to be our third safety. He, you know, he's not going to play enough snaps to warrant that cap hit. So we're just going to go ahead and release you 
hopefully he could find a new team soon. And he did with the Minnesota Vikings. And they couldn't trade him because we've seen that the safety market in this past free agency has dried up drastically. So no one wanted to take on that cap hit, even though Elevator doesn't have a lot of guaranteed money. And we saw the deal that he got with Minnesota. It's just it was that minimum. So all those factors combined, yeah, I do at this point believe that it was financial financial reasons, but not just financial reasons for saving uh, salary cap room, but just financial reasons where they didn't want to pay him that to be a third safety. So, <laughs> you're, you're, so you're saying either... Is it is it basically the crux of your argument is not getting enough, not getting enough snaps for this guy? I mean, is that is yes. that essentially what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, basically. Okay. I mean, I don't want to water down everything you said because <laughs> it was very it was very well said. But um, from a positional standpoint of this of this conversation, um, I, I get what you're saying. Now, uh, I. I think I'm going to kick it over to Scott and I'm going to, I'm going to see what he has to say. There is. So basically John is kind of more in the financial decision phase or the decision area of why Aloka was released. Scott, there are a couple of other handful of reasons that could be obvious or not. What, what is your position as to why the Bengals, um, let let a local go. With the first thing I want to mention, you mentioned the tinfoil hats at the beginning of your comment. Those aren't those may not necessarily be a bad thing, uh, depending on what you're trying to use them for. I mean, if you you know are trying to protect your head from radiation or something, you know it might be beneficial. And similarly, like, remember the movie Signs. Remember the movie Signs. I'm mentioning yeah. all these movies. I hope. Guess, but oh gosh, nobody see these movies. Ah, forget. Okay, it. I wasn't okay, too over Step Roaster, but I might have been too over Signs. I don't, <laughs> I don't know where that came out. So the tinfoil hat basically can provide value if it's used correctly. You know, if you're using it because you want to protect your head from radiation or something, uh, it's not too good to protect your head from aliens sucking your brains up. Whatever they say, it's yeah. And Reggie Nelson's kind of the same way, uh, somewhat, because in a particular role, and John, you know, did a great job of highlighting this. He does provide a lot of value. He, I thought Iloka was great back when he, we had Reggie Nelson, and Reggie Nelson could kind of be that free-ranging guy, and then Iloka could play more of that traditional, yeah, strong safety kind of look, you know, closer up to the line where you're not asking him to, you know, be that Ed Reed type of guy that just kind of plays deep, plays center field and tracks the ball, but is a guy that can play closer to the line but has enough speed that he can cover in a pinch if you need to, but he's also giving you um, protect, you know, protection and defense, you know, against the running plays and against things closer to the line of scrimmage. And unfortunately, last couple of years after Nelson left, you basically had two guys who were more strong safety than free safety. And Sean Williams and Georgia Loka, neither one was a great cover guy. Both guys were better at the run. One of them had to play one, one had to play the other. They obviously used Sean Williams um, in one role. I look, and I, as John mentioned, they obviously felt that Sean Williams was better at what you'd consider like a you know, like a strong safety kind of role, and Reggie or Jesse Bates when he was drafted was clearly drafted as a as a free safety. Some people considered him the best, you know, pure center field free safety kind of guy in the draft, uh, based on his ball skills and you know his speed and different things. So if you are saying you know we're going to have one guy that he's our deep guy that's going to be Bates, we're going to have one guy that plays closer, that's Williams, 
then the Iloka, then I, I understand why they would say, okay, Iloka is kind of the odd man out. That being said, I, I wasn't entirely on board with them cutting him because the depth is horribly thin because you're looking at Brandon Wilson, you know, Clayton Federlin, you guys didn't get a lot of snaps. I mean, George Iloka had, you know, 86% of the defensive snaps last year he played. Williams only played 50%. You know, Federlin played like 30%. So you're losing a ton of experience back there. And so that's a, a lot to give up for a team that tends to value veterans. So I'm, I think I'm more in the camp that they cut him because they are looking at the extensions for Atkins and or Dunlap. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Michael Johnson, Cedric Aboy, if maybe they do the math and figure, hey, we need to, you know, there might be another uh, head that's let loose between now and cut down day to get whatever amount of money they need to uh, sign these guys. Cause you know, we're seeing with some of these guys like Khalil Mack still holding out, you know, Aaron Donald, I don't know if he's got his extension yet. He's going to get a ton. They're probably doing the math and figuring, well, if we want to keep Atkins, you know, it's, it's not going to be five, six, seven million. It's going to be a pretty hefty chunk. You know, we need to make that somewhere and Granny's a little older, but still uh, I'm, I'm guessing that probably played part, part into it. And I think we'll know for sure because they like, I think they usually do their, free agent uh, or not free agent. They lock up their guys before the season starts. So I think in the next week or so, we'll find out if that was the case, if they don't get signed, either of those guys to extensions, then I think I, cause John said it was purely just, we don't want to pay, you know, 6 million or whatever for a guy to be first guy off the bench. Yeah. Uh, the, my, my take, and I, 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 I can't say I disagree really with either of you guys, but mine is a little bit of an offshoot of what Scott says said there. Um, uh, number one, I mean, I am inclined to believe number you know that they thought maybe Loka wasn't worth the money, but also that they want to get these extensions done. I think those are all in their minds. But the Bengals have always traditionally been pretty well under the cap and were again this year uh, because they don't do a ton in free agency. And they, they always use the same excuses of we got to extend our own stars. We got to do this. We got to do that. Whereas a lot of other teams do make more moves and do other things. Uh, and the Bengals kind of, you know, oh, we'll do these one-year rental deals and things like that. Um, I, I, I think – I do think that that's playing into the equation, both, both those facets. But I, I do think I'm going to kind of do what you guys did and blend a little bit there. I think number one, I just, I think Bates is probably the guy that fits more of the Terrell Austin type of mindset, aggressive, big play, create turnovers, that sort of, that sort of thing. That's what he's been preaching to this defense. But I actually also think that even though the team didn't do much, I mean, they, they were a little active in outside free agency, but they didn't do, they didn't do the splashy things. Um, I think that they have both the contract extensions for Atkins, Dunlap, and AJ Green in mind. But I also think that they're they are probably going to scour the waiver wire after final cuts, uh, maybe make an addition in the in the early part of the season as they kind of feel things out. Um, offensive lineman, maybe, um, you know, potentially a linebacker. Uh, I, I don't know, but I. I see, you know, I kind of got in a little thing with with a, a follower of mine. He's a good guy on Twitter. But I kind of was like, well, this is the difference between the Vikings and the Bengals. And granted, it's just a signing, whatever. But Georgia Loca is, is at this point, probably one of the biggest 
or was one of the biggest names on the free agent market. The Vikings, who made it all the way to the NFC Championship game last year, are not satisfied with what they have. They feel that they can improve their team today, and they went out and signed George Deloka, whereas the Bengals are, well, we're still trying to figure out the right side of the offensive line, and we think we can get – to me, there's there there are signs either that you're not putting the right guys out there and you have the guys on the bench that are not there in certain spots – um, or you just don't have the right guys in the building and you need to, you need to make a change. Now I'm not saying be total knee jerk reactionist and all that kind of stuff, but, um, I, I think that this is a move predicated both on the extensions and for them potentially getting, uh, getting some outside help as, as you know, whether it's right before the season starts or a week or two in, um, I, I think they might, you might see a new face or two on this squad. I do want to bring this up. I believe it was from mixing it up in our live YouTube chat. Why didn't we try to get some trade value from Aloka? And John, I think you nailed this. You had said, you know, that the safety market hasn't been super exactly. strong. Now, Kurt, Kurt, Kurt Coleman, I got quite a bit of money for a guy that had a, a really good, uh, I believe it was a 20, 2016 season, but not a great 2017 season in terms of turnovers created and all of that, um, you can go back to when Aloka signed this deal with the Bengals. There's a there's a specific column, I believe it was either by Andy Benoit or or Albert Breer. I can't remember which one, but one of them wrote about uh, how the safety market even then, a couple of years ago, was drying up. And you know, Aloka, the the top safety on the market at that time, was. You know, it still took him a couple of uh, what many thought he would be a first day signing of free agency. It still took a little bit to get him to sign. And uh, so the safety market, it just dries up a little bit, especially for guys that, you know, aren't creating a ton of turnovers, what what have you. Um, so I think that kind of goes to that question. I think I haven't received this question, but it kind of ties into my take on the Aloka situation, you know, there's always been, well, why don't we trade for Earl Thomas? Why don't we trade for Earl Thomas? It's a pipe dream. I don't, I don't think it happens. Yeah. Um, money wise and all kinds of stuff. I just, I don't think that happens, but I just want to throw this out with that, with the, with the trade yeah. value and stuff and just the devaluation of the safety market. This is, this is where my tinfoil hat comes on. I think NFL teams are terrified of this new helmet rule. And That's what, a great it, point. what it impacts the most is those, free safeties that come downhill and make those tackles over the middle. And I love Iloka and he was one of the most flagged guys on the Bengals for those hits. And granted, most of them weren't necessarily legit when you look at the replay, but he was the recipient of a lot of those flags and j j not specifically looking at Iloka, but I think that's why a lot of teams were really scared of giving out safeties a lot of money. Yeah. Just because of that. It's a great point. No, that's a, that's a fantastic point. And I think, I, I, to be honest, I would hate to play safety in the NFL right now because, number one, you know, there's so many – and this has been a trend really over the big plays. And even if you lead with the shoulder – and now it's changed even more. So, you know, you, you come up to try and make a tackle, whatever. You can't tackle low at the knees because, you know, there's there's been guys who have had their knee knees torn up and, you know, you can't definitively go low – but then you're covering guy. I mean, safeties are usually pretty decent sized, but you are often tasked with covering or tackling big tight ends down the field. You can't tackle them low, 
which is what you need to do for, you know, the size disadvantage you potentially have. And then, you know, you can't hit them high because of the, the new rules. And uh, I, I don't know, maybe you're supposed to just kind of bear hug and, and try and drag to the ground at this point. But um, that, that is a great point and uh, a valid one. But we, I think we all are kind of in agreement in some form, you know, there, there are probably some multiple factors at play, but, um, you know, each one of us kind of has a little bit of a different route, I think, in terms of why Aloka was released. But he's gone. He's with Mike Zimmer and the Vikings now, and the Bengals are set to go with Jesse Bates, at least for the moment, along with Sean Williams. We'll see how that goes. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza. He's John Sheeran, and we're also joined by our other co-host, Scott Schultze. Um, you can get this program on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Oh boy, Cincy Jungle, uh, what, did, what did I say, Stitcher and Google Play now are the new additions, and then hopefully soon Spotify. So a lot of different routes to go to um, with with the program. So I encourage you to download it, and, and if you can join us live, we're on Cincy Jungle and YouTube Live every episode, so check that out. Um, we're going to go to Scott here and talk about – um, uh, Scott, we're running a little, I don't want to rush you, but we're running up against time a little bit. Um, but we do want to get some fantasy football advice from you this week. So what, what I think you had mentioned earlier, a little teaser before, uh, before this segment here, you had some things to say about the Bengals running backs, correct? Um, yeah, not really nothing specifically, just, uh, that they, because Joe Mixon right now is going in the middle of the second round, and I know most Bengals fans are going to want to probably grab him if they're in that spot or even a little earlier, because he, you know, watching him is a very dynamic, very wonderful, you know, running back as far as the stuff he can do, running the ball and catching the ball. But of course, in fantasy, it's a, the challenge is, you know, where do you put your loyalty to a certain player or team versus their production? Because you don't win because you have a team with a bunch of people you like. You win because you're scoring the most points and you're scoring the most points generally because these guys are getting a ton of opportunity and on really, you know, good teams that are helping them get those points. And, and that's kind of one of the challenges with Mixon is, you know, he's a, he's a guy I'd love to draft. I, I guess I just want to see a little more, you know, on Sunday, (laughs) you know, can they create any sort of hole that this guy can run through? Here's a question for you, Scott. Um, and, And this may sound ridiculous, but could we expect to see as many or more receiving touchdowns from these Bengals backs than rushing touchdowns? Because what we've seen in the preseason, they've used Mixon in the passing game. They've used backup running backs in the passing game. Last year, Mixon had a lot of catches. We know Geo uh, is very effective in, in, the, in the receiving game and is kind of at times balanced his receiving touchdowns with rushing touchdowns. They don't have Jeremy Hill kind of eating up those goal line rushing touchdown opportunities. Now, could we see those guys be more valuable as receiving running backs rather than rushing running backs this year? They're both great receivers, but if, if we do that, I think they are in a lot of trouble because that means they are not able to, you know, punch in those close ones. And so either Dalton is scoring those because he's handing off and the running backs aren't getting it done because they're not getting the push to kind of help him get in there. Or it just means we're not scoring unless we're scoring from further out and we're not scoring in the red zone. And 
And it probably also means Eifert got hurt because now we're throwing more to these running backs when we get close because he's not there. So I'm, I'm hoping that doesn't happen. I mean, it's always a possibility, but I think if um, like Mixon and Bernard end up with more receiving than rushing touchdowns, that probably doesn't speak well to the Bengals offense this year. Okay. So any, any little tidbit of advice? I think a lot of people now are uh, starting to get to the show. I haven't done mine yet, but um, any any little tidbit of advice you want to give this week? I'll throw one out, and then if you have any questions, feel free to throw any questions my way, and I'll try to answer them as quickly as I can. Uh, the one thing I'm going to say is every year there's that one guy in most drafts, or girl. Uh, it could be, you know, <laughs> guy or girl. <laughs> uh, it's becoming more popular, you know, among both sexes yeah, now. That, yeah, yeah. You know, that... Um, will always you know, that person will use that you know seventh eighth ninth round pick and grab that top defense this year would be jacksonville you know that guy you know kind of savvy hey i you know i'm not going to take my fourth running back here i'm going to take that top defense and i got that position locked up and they kind of pat themselves on the back and you know yeah you know, got you guys don't be that person and the reason i'm saying this is the Top fantasy defenses every year. The reason they're the top defense is because they score defensive touchdowns. If you look at the list of defensive touchdowns, like over the last decade, and look at the list of top fantasy you know, defenses each year, it's pretty much the same list. And that is a horribly fluky statistic. And good examples like Minnesota. They were the top actual defense last year. Points against, you know, sacks, you know, all the actual defensive categories, they were phenomenal. In fantasy, they weren't even a top 12 team, so they weren't even startable. And the reason is they didn't get the big number of defensive touchdowns. You look each year at the team who finishes first in fantasy. Pretty much every single year they are first in all defensive touchdowns. Some years are second, but you know they're up there at the top. The average finish for a top fantasy defense the following year over, I think I looked back over like the past, past 10 or 12 years, is like 14. So the top defense one year that people will chase the fall doesn't even finish good enough to be a starter in a 12 team league. And I'm not saying Jacksonville's going to finish 14th. I'm just saying on average, you know, Jacksonville had a ton of touchdowns last year. They had seven defensive touchdowns last year. That's just not repeatable. I mean, they could still be a great defense, but you know, from fantasy perspective, you know, if they only get one, two, three defensive touchdowns, they they're probably, they may not even be a startable defense. And so the one piece of advice I'll give anyone is, you know, don't be that guy or, or girl who you know, grabs that defense early, thinking that you, you you've kind of you know pulled a fast one on the rest of your league. Um, just wait, <laughs> you know, ha have the patience. <laughs> yeah, just take who falls to you in like you know one of those last two rounds. Now, if you're one of these leagues where people grab backup defenses, uh, just because you have like maybe an insane number of roster spots, and you're like, oh shoot, you know, people are grabbing two defenses before forgetting the first one. Okay, at that point, jump and get one. You know, don't don't get stuck with you know a horrible you know, because you want to get some points from the position, but you don't need to be the guy that, uh, you know, that wastes a, a valuable mid-ground pick that can be used on running back and receiver depth because those are important positions. You know, most leagues, they start five of them. So you want to have – and there's buys and there's injuries. So it's it's always nice to have more than, you know, one or two of those guys. So, uh, yeah, that, so that's going to be my, my little tip for the week. And then any – questions or anything you have on fantasy because you said you haven't drafted you know feel free to ask if we are out of time then yeah that's cool too 
I just want to say one thing that I can attest to Scott because I was in a draft a long time ago. Someone took the Steelers defense the first overall pick. Oh three God! Games. <laughs> three games. Good <laughs> Don't God. Be that guy. Oh yeah, we should we should get Scott a shirt that just said "Don't be that guy." Don't be that guy <laughs> with, a, with like a, a football and a trophy or I don't know something. Um, no, you know, and Scott, nothing really comes to mind. I guess the one I had was mostly about the Bengals' backs, and I've been thinking about this that this week in terms of their receiving value against rushing value. It also depends on, I would think, the type of league you're in, right? Because um, those guys are going to get touches in the passing game for sure. Um, and I think just based on the way that the Bengals line is currently constructed and how it may look throughout the course of the season, they're going to try and get the ball out quick, uh, maybe do some screens to masks, you know, set up sc- screens to mask some inefficiencies up front. So yeah. uh, that's kind of where my, my main curiosity was this week. And that's another, you, you mentioned something that is another great point is before you draft, know your scoring. Every league's a little different. I mean, some of the biggest things are if it's point, you know, PPR, non-PPR, which is like you get a point per reception. And that was started years ago because, you know, when you had these bell cow running backs that had 300 carries a game, you know, if you had a top five or ten pick, you were getting those guys. And then the guys later in the draft weren't able to get these Priest Holmes, Tomlinson, you know, guys that were just going to carry your team. So, you know, leagues adjusted. They said, hey, let's give a point per reception to give the receivers value. So the running backs are scoring a ton. The receivers are here. We kind of make them even. Well, now that you don't have all the big, you know, bell cows and you have receivers doing like crazy, the PPR thing is uh, the reason for it's a little obsolete. So that's why you see people scaling back the PPR to like half a point or a quarter point. So if you do a PPR, just you know, know that because if you find a list, a lot of guys will just wait, you know, day of the draft, they'll, they'll print a list off, you know, from ESPN or CBS Sports or Yahoo. And those lists are great, but those lists are only as good as the scoring that was used for those lists. And so if you are looking at a list that was generated based on a PPR and you are a in a PPR league, then that's kind of a you know, somewhat useless list because it's not going to be very accurate. And then two, look at how many passing points you get for a touchdown because there's a big difference between four and six because you're looking at 25, 30 touchdowns possibly. So that's a big chunk of difference. And if you're only getting something like four or five, you know, those running quarterbacks have a lot more value because those rushing touchdowns mean more. The rushing yards mean more. So, yeah, so when you draft just – at least glance over your scoring, have an idea of what points you're going to get. So because it does help you because you are trying to get the most, I mean, the idea is to get the most points and it helps to know how you get those points because so you can draft the guys who get you those points. Getting back to the fantasy football basics with Scott here. Uh, you win by getting the most points and, <laughs> and know your league, I think are the takeaways ways no no the rules no i'm just kidding scott good stuff uh, appreciate it and anytime any of our listeners have questions during the show or after or whatever they can hit us up on any any number of our platforms to uh ask some fantasy questions we'll be doing this throughout the week the, the season um and uh hopefully all of you if you're not playing us do well in your in your respective leagues and uh, do, uh, you know, have some fun playing fantasy football, win some money, all that good stuff. Uh, we're going to transition to questions. a caller on the line. I believe it's Dean Burke. Dean, how are you, sir? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. What's your question this week, bud? Uh, my question is, how, basically, how bad is the Bengals have to start um, for Marvin Lewis to lose a job this season or at the 
That's a great question, and I think there's a lot of caveats to it. We're gonna we're gonna take your question off the air, Dean. Thanks for, for thanks for tuning in live, buddy. All right, so did guys, did you get that question? Did you hear it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know where to start, so I guess John, let's put you on the spot, buddy. So the question was, how bad did the Bengals have to start for Lewis to get fired? Was fired. Or any, yeah, fired, hot seat, any of that stuff. Okay, so I have a. I'll, I'll answer that question without a question. Can you win negative games? Because that's the only <laughs> way I could see Marvin Lewis getting yeah. fired before these next two years are up. And I wish I could expand a little bit more, but that's all I got. Negative games. Yeah, I, one. You know, uh, and Scott, I'm gonna. Yeah, I know. I mean, Scott. I. Uh, well, the, trust me, Lewis has come. As close as you can, um, you know, ties and losses and all kinds of stuff. So, um, but my my thing, uh, the Bengals had a very year was the golden opportunity if they wanted to move on from Marvin Lewis um, because they st- the first game of the season was awful. They start they looked completely unprepared again in an opener under Marvin Lewis, and then. Aside from the last two games, after that, steal was unacceptable in itself, given the lead the team had and how they played in that first half of that game. The following two games against Chicago that are absolutely unacceptable. Um, and then, as Mike Brown noted, it, you know, those last two games kind of saved Marvin's job. And Dead cat bounce. So, I don't. I don't know what it's going to take, Scott. What do you think? Yeah, I think the negative game comment by John is probably accurate. I, he signed a two-year extension after this year. If and if this year isn't going to get him gone, I, you know, even a Browns or Lions like zero and sixteen, I don't think would do it unless you get something like an zero and sixteen plus. So zero and sixteen plus, maybe Marvin gets arrested for I don't know selling. Pot at the airport or something. Plus, you know something. I mean, it would take several, you know, really awful things combined. Well, record probably wouldn't even matter. I mean, zero and sixteen plus, you know, zero. Actually, zero fifteen and one because he's going to get a tie. It wouldn't be zero and sixteen. But yeah, it would take something like that to basically have them end it before. And I think even after the two-year run, if they still if they miss the playoffs both years. Don't be surprised if he gets another <laughs> extension. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh God. Oh, I wish God. you weren't right. Yeah. Really yeah, weird. I know. Seriously. Uh well, thanks for the question there, Dean. We've got a couple of text messages we'll get to here in a second. Um again, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get in touch with us in a number of different ways and download the program on basically a lot of different apps now and stuff. So uh Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, all our stuff's on Cincy Jungle. So check us out. Um, we're going to get to these last two questions and then get out of here. Um, this is from Justin Tabor, or Tabor. Um, and this might be a tiny bit more up Scott and I's alley, given uh, our age. But, John, if you have some thoughts, I'd love to hear it as well. Scott, who deserves the Hall of Fame more, Ken Anderson or Ken Riley? The Battle of the Kens. Oh, that is a good question. I mean, 
I think both of them and Willie Anderson all deserve it. But if I have to pick one of the Kens, I think I, man, I don't know how you pick one. I mean, Riley is what, I mean, he's up in like the top five, I think in interceptions in NFL history and back in an era when they weren't throwing a ton. And then you have Anderson who, you know, led him to a Super Bowl. you know, was a, you know, one of the, uh, first passers to really be a very prolific, you know, kind of like that West coast style. I know a guy accurate getting lots. Of... If I had to go with one, I guess I'd go with Anderson only because he is the quarterback. He did the thing, the criteria that get you in this, in the hall of fame, kind of like the Troy Aikman thing. He was never a great quarterback, but he was a quarterback of great teams. Anderson was a quarterback on a Super Bowl team and he did put up some great numbers, you know, in a, era when passing wasn't as prolific and says his numbers tend to get overshadowed now. And I think it's going to be harder for him because it's, you know, you look at, you know, receiving yards back then, you know, 900 yards is pretty awesome. Nowadays, you know, you need 14 or 1500 to be considered pretty awesome. So it's going to be harder for him, but I think he had as the quarterback position and some of the, the changes that they implemented with Paul Brown and with Anderson, the innovation, the way the game kind of changed under them. I, I think I'd have to go with Anderson. Uh, Anderson. Okay. Justin, Justin, uh, also who texted us is now, uh, stating his case in the live YouTube chat. Uh, he, and it is uh Tabor like labor. He says, um, he said, Ken Riley. And because Ken Riley has 60 interceptions in the, in the, uh, four guys in front of him, all are in the hall of fame. Good case to be had there. I do have a take, but John, you were kind of nodding a little bit about, uh, some of the things Scott was saying there, uh, your take between the two Kens. It, it, Scott's right. It's tough. Obviously, I wasn't alive to see either of them play. Um, but I will say this. Eli Manning is going to get into the Hall of Fame one day because he won two Super Bowl rings. And he's going to get into the Hall of Fame because it's not the Hall of Efficiency. It's the Hall of Fame. And everyone knows Eli Manning's name. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't kind of understand when they talk about the the voting process and that's why you know guys like some Steelers like um what's his name Lynn Swans in the Hall of Fame just because he won like four Super Bowls like people knew that Steelers team I don't think a lot of people nowadays know who Ken Riley is and that's kind of why you just never hear him his name up in the senior candidate conversations but people at least know who Ken Anderson is at this point because he's always in that conversation and he's always talked about one of those first like he, he like set a precedent in the passing game when you know, teams weren't just passing the ball that that well, and he had like a seventy percent completion percentage back in the seventies, which is just unheard of. So, I think based off all those kinds of factors, Anderson's probably the more deserving. Even though you could definitely make the argument that Riley's Riley's career, when you talk about production and era specific, is considerably more impressive, I guess. And if Anderson obviously wins a Super Bowl, he's in. And we don't have this conversation, but I think I think it's probably Anderson at this point. Yeah, and, you know, interesting, interesting point about Eli Manning. If you look at Eli Manning's record, if you look at him year by year and you look at the Giants year by year, essentially he's had a – of his, I think, 14 years in the league, he's had a small handful of great years, and then he's had a lot of blah to subpar years. And it's those Super Bowl runs, those those deeper playoff runs, those the small handful of times that they've done that, um, that's where he's kind of made his case. And obviously when they had that, they had in those years, they had Michael Strahan, they had Tiki Barber, they had, uh, you know, the three headed monster, Brandon Jacobs, Tiki Barber and uh, Derek Ward, I think was the other guy. Um, 
you know, he had a lot of surrounding talent. Now, of course, quarterbacks, when you win the Super Bowl, you have a lot of surrounding talent. That's just a different conversation altogether. But interesting point about Eli Manning there. I'm going to say this. I'm, I'm, I am going to be fence rider and say I think both are probably probably have the credentials to be in the Hall of Fame or should be in the Hall of Fame. But my, my takeaway from this is that – the, this is the reason why the Bengals need their own Hall of Fame or their own Ring of Honor because these guys are getting overlooked. These guys are getting, you know, even if they're fringe by some voter standards or what have you, or Hall of Hall of Very Good. This is the reason why the Bengals need to have some sort of honoring system, official thing. You know, a, a, a guy like yourself or myself, I never really saw Ken Riley play either, but. If I was to go to a Bengals game and, and go to Paul Brown Stadium and there's a wing where they talk about Ken Riley, they have his uniform and they, they're honoring him and all that kind of stuff, I think that'd be a pretty cool thing. And even if he never makes it into Canton, even if Ken Anderson never makes it into Canton, it's just the right thing to do. And at least these guys are being honored in in a way that they should be um, by their team. You know, so uh, that that's kind of my main takeaway from this discussion. We, we're running way long on time. I apologize to you guys. I apologize to the listeners, but we've got we had a lot on tap. Let's get to this final question. It's from Austin Tran. Uh, John, if the right tackle continues to struggle for the rest of the season, do you think we could possibly draft an offensive tackle in 2019? Well, I mean, obviously, but I think it's also I think that's a question more about first round offensive tackle, especially after 2015 and the, and what hap- what has happened with Cedric Abwehi, Jake Fisher, or might they do something in free agency? But I, I would think if the, if the right tackle position continues to be a mess, I would think that they would draft someone high. They did it with Andre Smith in 2009, right? Yeah, and they've those tackles that, that have come through, they've all been first and second round picks. So, and this team, besides Billy Price, they've always usually stuck to their trends in terms of drafting. But that right tackle position is going to be very interesting because all three of those guys are free agents and honestly wouldn't do the team any good to bring any of them back. But maybe one might be back. But if it struggles like we expect it to, yeah, it's probably the favorite right now. And now you have a new offensive line coach who is going to scout those offensive tackles just like Paul Alexander did. He's going to bring his own you know criteria that he looks for. Hopefully we see some better results that are not either Jake Fisher or Cedric Woy. Yeah, uh, Scott. Even with the struggles at um, at right tackle, and if they continue through through twenty twenty eighteen here, do you see that the Bengals might even have a bigger need than offensive tackle, namely a right tackle early in the draft? Yeah, I mean it's I guess depend, <laughs> depending on what happens in. I mean, yeah, free agency injuries or whatever. The contract extensions, you know, Dunlap and Atkins aren't here. Right tackle. I mean, it was a huge need this year, and I think yeah. most Bengals fans were quite frustrated. You see every single pick, every single pick, and okay, second round. Okay, no, if it's Jesse Bates, third round. No, if it's Sam Hubbard, and he gets Blake. Jack. At some point, you know, it's Mark Walton. What? Okay, well, at some point, we're going to get, and they just never, you know, till that what very last second to last pick with that Rod Taylor. Uh, I mean, they they just he never. Yeah, and it's where you know, and you you had a lot of guys who we're falling to you. It's not like, man, there's like four good ones and they're all gone and oh, it's nothing we can do. I mean, every round, this, this was considered a very deep tackle draft. You had a lot of guys, these, uh, you know, Connor Williams, you know, some people different, 
uh, opinions on Orlando Brown. But, you know, there are a lot of other guys like that who kept falling and falling, and they passed on them. They fell. More guys fell. They And at the end of the draft, you know, they just took none. They're kind of like, well, we're, we're happy with what we have here. And we've seen from the first two games that if you're happy with what you have there, that's not very encouraging because <laughs> you don't have very much there. And I, yeah, I'm not quite sure if it was just, hey, we got a new offensive line coach. Let's see if he can, you know, make something out of nothing. And it looks like he needs something to make something out of it. If that makes any sense. Uh, yeah, I would be very amazed if they did not address that either in a trade, a free agent signing, or the most probable would be a draft pick. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bagels podcast. We're going to get out of here. Thank you for the listener questions to those of you who called, texted, and um, you know left your left your comments and whatnot in the live YouTube chat. Much appreciated. Uh, again, you can get this program on a number of different platforms. I hate to sound like a broken record, but Stitcher and Google Play are the latest additions along with iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, uh, CincyJungle.com. And uh, so so check it out. Get the show how you can. Um, some final thoughts. I just want to say this. Uh, one of our loyal listeners, Jason Von Stein, I, I, I've lagged on uh, addressing this. He um, has made some comments both in the live YouTube chat and, and when we first opened up, I think it was the very first week we opened up the, uh, the phone line for the show, he had made a comment about playing music on behalf of his dad and uh, doing some cool things there. And I just wanted to acknowledge that we received that. Um, keep doing what you're doing. If, if there's something you want to send us, we may be able to try and play something on the air or what have you. Um, but I, we appreciate the support of the show. I know you've been a longtime listener and uh, I, I wanted to acknowledge that because he, he had called and left a voicemail actually for us and, Unfortunately, we just didn't get to it, but I wanted to acknowledge that we got that and uh, appreciate it. And I hope everybody enjoys the game against the Bills this Sunday. I guess, guys, final thoughts. Uh, John, Thing you might th one thing you might be hoping to get out of this week from the Bengals' preseason game against the Bills? A positive run from Mark Walden, who had none <laughs> last week. Just one. Uh, I know. That, that poor guy. Oh, every time he gets the ball, he gets swarmed. It's crazy. Um, Scott, final thoughts? I Yeah, I guess as far as the game goes, I want to see see what they do as far as the right tackle position, if they're just going to keep banging their head against the ball with the same people or if they're going to maybe try something different because as we've kind of harped on the show, you know, the running game, the pass. I mean, yeah, there's it's just going to – it's not going to get any easier when you get into real play. So, yeah, I, I, I want to see what they do. With it. And if it doesn't get any better, hopefully it's a clear night. And like I said, we, you can look up and see those three planets because that's pretty cool. You don't get to see that all the time. <laughs> well, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And our, th our thanks to uh, John uh, Boccasino of Buffalo Rumblings, the SP Nation blog throughout the week as the Bengals set to take on the Buffalo Bills in the preseason dress rehearsal. Have some fun this weekend. Be safe. And thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. We'll see you next time. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, 
maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs> <laughs>